This week, Brother Phil Chandler speaks to us on the topic, Four Keys to Victory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I commend you for your worship tonight and inviting his presence into this place. Amen. Amen. Turn with me real quick in your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 5. I thank Brother Juan for this great opportunity to come and speak to this incredible class. Uh, you guys are doing great things. I do uh, see a lot of familiar faces. Uh, it makes me feel really old because <clears throat> some of those familiar faces are getting ready to get married. Man, whew, well, anyways, Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Going to chapter 6, verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Tonight, for a few moments, I'm going to talk to you on this subject, four keys to victory. Look at your neighbor and say, four keys to victory. You can sit down. I know most of that back row thought I was going to read something about David. <clears throat> I'm sorry that I disappointed you. I'll see if I can fit him in anywhere in this sermon. I'm sure I will. Four keys to victory. So this is a very well-known passage of Scripture, and this story uh, is, not, is not new to any one of you guys tonight. So I'm not going to be sharing something that will leave you walking out of this place and talking about how smart I am. I'd love for you to do that. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I just want to, I want to pull a few things out of this story that the, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me to share with you guys tonight. Because in our lives, in our walk with God, we are going to face battles. I think most of you know at this age, you're, you've lived a little bit long enough now to know that you, you, your life's not going to be easy every day, that you are going to have trials, that you may have setbacks and things along the way that do come up. But I'm here to remind somebody today in a very simple way that God's church is always victorious. The song when I was growing up, they used to sing, I've, I've read the back of the book, and we what? We win. It's a simple song, but it's, it's true. If you, if you read the book, and if you read the, the, the words of the Lord, and you really ingest them, you understand that no matter what we end up going through, and eventually we are going to win, as long as we stay on his side, because his side's going to win, right? Four keys to victory is where I'm heading. So uh, Joshua in this story is out surveying the city of Jericho, surveying the city. And uh, he's coming about it from a perspective of this. Joshua at this point, this is not a new position for him. You see, Joshua was here about 40 years before this. Joshua was sent from Moses and 11 other spies to go in and, and look at this land, 
look at the land that's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. I want you to, I want you to go find out what's in there, what's going on, and I want you to report back to me. And we know this story. All 12 returned, and they all 12 told of great things in the city. Wow, this is an amazing place. And God's, he, was, he was right when he told us all these, these descriptions of this place. And, and the grapes are huge, and it took two of us to carry a cluster of them. But eventually it got down to Joshua and Caleb saying, let's go, and 10 of them saying, but we can't take it. So Joshua has been in this position before. Joshua understands what has happened. And I, in my mind's eye, I kind of envisioned Joshua. He'd already sent spies out. The Bible tells us earlier in chapter 5 that he had sent spies out himself to look at the land. And they're the ones that end up find, uh, finding Rahab. And we know that story. So that had already transpired. So Joshua's out there on his own doing a little personal reconnaissance. He's looking. He, he just wants to see it. And it's, it's really because in, in, in my mind, he's, he's surveying what could have been. He's looking at what could have been 40 years previous. He's looking at a city that could have been inhabited by God's people a long time before. He's looking at a city that could have, have seen revival a long time before where he was at right then. And I'm wondering, and it had to have somehow sparked something in Joshua, and, and what could have happened? What would have happened if we'd have followed the, the leading of the Lord, if we'd have followed after what he told us to do? So I'm sure there was some doubt in his mind and wondering, what's going to happen now? We, we've got over the river now, and, and we've spent this time in the wilderness, but really the tragedy in this story is that the, the Bible had to, they had to take them out into the wilderness, the, the Lord had to, to, to kill that whole generation, to allow them to pass away because he said, you're not going to see it. God said, you're not going to see this place because you didn't have faith enough to stay here. And because of that, they handicapped the next generation by 40 years. They handicapped them. So the kid that was born the day perhaps that they left into the wilderness is now 40 years old. What could have happened in his life for those first 40 years if he'd not been in the wilderness? This isn't really part of my message tonight, but if I could just, if I could just put this in here very simply, I don't want to be a part of a generation that handicaps the next. I don't want to be a part of a generation that, that makes it harder on my son to live for God or my daughter to serve God. I want to be a part of a generation that says, you know what, God, I want what you have for me now. I want to make sure that I'm preparing a way for the generation that comes and they don't have to overcome my obstacles to get where you want them to be. So the first thing, the first key to victory in our lives tonight is this. We have to remember who's in charge. Remember who's in charge. Joshua surveying the city. And the scripture that we read tonight tells us that he runs into this, this angel, this captain of the, the Lord's army. And, and he goes up to him, and his first question is, first of all, man, you look large. Are you for me or are you against me? That's a pretty good question. You look like you're, you're strong, and maybe the, you could probably take me, so I need to know. Are you coming after me or are you going to be with me? And it's a very interesting answer. And he said, I'm not for you and I'm not against you. The question is really, Joshua, whose side are you on? Because I'm here to do, a, I have a purpose here. I have, a, I have a mission here, and it's up to you, Joshua, to get on my page. It's up to you to follow after the leading of, of God in your life right now, Joshua. So Joshua, and right away, he begins to understand, yeah, I'm in charge of the people of Israel right now, but he's not, I, I'm not in charge of this guy, and I've got to submit myself to him. And we see that, the, that he says, you know, take off your shoes for the ground which thou on this holy ground. This is the same thing that happened to Moses so many years before in the burning bush. And so Joshua does so, and he obliges, and he begins to worship. And he begins to, 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 to say, you know what, whatever it is, God, I'm submitting to you right now. I, I want your will to be done because I want to be on your side. Because so many years before, 
they had tried to figure out who was in charge. Moses said, hey, it's time to go up. We're going to take the city. And the people said, no, we're not going to do this. And so when ultimately they decided and God had told them, okay, you're not going to now, ultimately they said, okay, we're going to go up anyways. We're going to try. Because, okay, now we've doubted and we've sinned, but now we're going to do this. And God had told them they couldn't. Moses told them they couldn't, but they tried anyways. They tried to be in charge of their destiny. They tried to be in charge of their situation. It's too late. They'd already given up on God, and God said, no, you're going to go out into the wilderness. And I tell you that if you, if you try to take things into your own hands and outside of God's timing, it's never going to end well. It's never going to end well when you try to put things in your own timing, in your own hands. You've got to trust God. We have to remember who is in charge. This battle that we're fighting, this, this battle, whatever it might be in your life, but ultimately the revival of this church in this city is the battle that we're fighting. That battle is not ours. We're a part of it. We, we are in the middle of that, of that fight, but the battle is not ours. We have to remember who is in charge, and that's Jesus. We have to submit to him on every level. We have to allow him to let his plan unfold in our lives and in our church and in our youth groups and in our young marriage and in our college and career class. We have to allow him to do that for us. We have to remember who's in charge. And secondly is this. Worship will change your perspective about the battle. Worship is going to change your perspective about the battle. Joshua, the very first thing he did was fall on his face and worship. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Absolutely. The first thing I've got to do before the first sword is ever drawn. Joshua didn't ask him about battle plans. Joshua didn't say, okay, what's the next step? Joshua simply fell on his face and began to worship. Before anything ever happened, before anything ever was won or victory was taken, this was something he had to do first. In fact, Joshua didn't even ask for anything. He just worshiped. Worship when things don't appear like they've already been taken care of. If you can get this principle in your life, it's going to change you. If you can worship God before the victory is won, it's going to change your life. If you can worship him while you still see a city that's walled up and you can't get into, when you can worship him when you don't have the job that you're trying to get, when you can worship him when things in your life and your dreams and your plans that you've written out haven't come to pass yet, if you can worship him prior to those things happening in your life, it's going to change your perspective. Don't get so wrapped up in your problem that you forget to look at your provider. Yeah, we all have problems. Yes, we have huge things in our life that we've got to deal with, but we've got an even bigger God. We've got an even bigger Savior. We've got an even bigger provider. We've got to trust Him with our lives. And worship is how you do that. Joshua gets up from worshiping, and the first thing he does, he doesn't say, okay, here's my plans. These are my blueprints, and this is what we thought we've done, and we're going to come around this side of the city, and this is how I'm going to split up my men. That's not what he does. He says, okay, what do you want me to do? Once you've worshipped God and, and the answer is not there yet, it's not time then to lay out your plans for God to, to work on your behalf. It's time for you to say, okay, God, you tell me where to go. All right, I want you to tell me how I'm going to fight this battle. I want you to give me the, the instructions on how to go from here. You see, Joshua remembered he'd been here before and everything had, had turned out wrong. He said, okay, I'm just going to turn my, my will over to you, and you tell me what I need to do. So he begins to ask him. He spends time in worship, and nothing changes physically, but his perspective changes. He's worried about the city. He's worried about the, the, somehow getting around those walls, but now he meets up with this captain of the Lord's host, and he, and he worships, and now his perspective is totally different. In verse 2 of chapter 6, he said, the city is yours, and suddenly the city doesn't look so big to Joshua anymore. 
That city that looked impenetrable. That city with the walls big enough that they could race chariots around. That city that had the, the biggest fortress around that looked huge to Joshua just a few moments before. Suddenly his perspective is different after worship. It's no coincidence that after a Sunday night when God moves in this place and, and he begins to, to pour out his spirit and we have a, a great explosion of worship, it's no coincidence that you walk out feeling encouraged. It's no coincidence that you walk back into your life and think, okay, God's got this. That's what his intention is. When you worship him and you magnify him, everything that you're dealing with gets a little bit smaller because he gets a little bit bigger, right? We've got to trust him with those things. Worship changes your perspective. We have to remember who's in charge, and then we have to worship who is in charge because that's going to change our perspective. Here's the big one. God's methods are not man's, but they work and they are right. I don't know what Joshua expected in this intercourse, in this exchange, but I guarantee you that it was not what he heard. His expectation was not that he would say, this is what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to walk around the walls and blow a trumpet and yell. I promise you that's not what he was thinking. He was thinking, okay, you, you tell me how we're going to bomb this wall. How, how are we going to just blow this place up? That, that wasn't his method. No, Joshua, what I want you to do is, you see, I want you to go back to the children of Israel. I want you to tell them what we're going to do. All right, so the first day we're going to walk around the wall. We're going to have the priests in front. We're going to have the trumpeters. We're going to have all these things in place. But all I want you to do is walk and not say a word. First of all, that was hard enough for, for a company that big to walk and not say a word because there were probably women in there. I can say that because my wife's back there. So can you imagine that many people walking around a wall and not talking? Some of you are teachers in here. Can you imagine more than like 10 minutes without anybody talking? doesn't happen but that's what he said so you got you got an instruction from joshua to walk around a wall and don't say anything walk all the way around and when you're done we're gonna okay they probably have an expectation because they only joshua knew the plan if you read this he didn't spell everything out to them he just said this is what we're gonna do we're gonna leave camp we're gonna walk around the wall and so as they're walking they're thinking okay what's gonna happen all right what's happening next so surely something's gonna happen oh we're done we're just gonna go back to camp well, that was uneventful. And they go back to camp. The second day, they get up. All right, here's the plan. We're going to walk around the walls and come back. They do that for six days. For six days. God's methods are not our methods. All right, I'm not going to, that's not the plan I was drawing up. That's not the plan that Joshua had in his briefcase, I promise you. He had to think something. This, is, this isn't going to work, but they had to trust Joshua, and Joshua had to trust God. We have to trust our leadership, by the way. God's placed a pastor in our lives for a purpose, for a reason. And even when we don't understand everything that he lays out in front of us, if we'll trust him, God's going to bless it. If we'll trust him, even when we don't understand it, God's going to bless it. God blesses obedience. Don't you remember when he said obedient to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of ramps? I almost got back into to David. That's all. Okay, so this is what they do. Day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Nothing changes. Day seven. I'm sure people are grumbling. As good of a people these, I know they're good God, godly people, but they're grumbling in camp. 
We're going to go walk around again. Do you understand what they're yelling at us from the top of the wall, Joshua? Do you understand what they're saying to us, that we look stupid and silly, and what are we doing just walking around these walls? I just want you to walk around. But today we're not just doing it once. We're doing it seven times. And on that seventh time, there was a little bit more of an instruction. Joshua said, I want you on that seventh time, when I give you the signal, when I tell you it's time, I want you to shout, and I want the trumpets to blow. And we know the story. Eventually, when that happened, the walls, the Bible says, the walls fell flat. I've read different commentaries and things that try to bring out the point that they fell flat. Okay, the walls are wide enough to race chariots on. So when they fall, if they were to just crumble, it would provide rubble enough to where you couldn't hardly get through. There's still a lot of stone and whatever the material might be. But the Bible says it fell flat, and they were able to walk straight up into the city. So I don't know how that happened, but that's another miracle in and of itself that God was able to perform. But that's what happens, and it's God's method, and it works. It's right. It's not our methods. You see, God has a way. He has a history of doing these type of things. Like Moses, uh, God, we need some water. We need some water in the wilderness. Okay, go talk to that rock. What? Yeah, just go tell that rock we need some water. Moses didn't trust him, and he went a little further than that. But God has a history of those type of things. Like, uh, okay, God, uh, here it is. I'm going to throw David in here. All right? So I'm going to go face this giant, and uh, I need some help. Okay, good. I want you to just hit him in the head with a rock. It doesn't make sense. Those type of things don't make sense to us. Because this giant that David's facing has a helmet. And first of all, he's over nine feet tall, and he's huge, and a little rock's not going to hurt that head. But God has a way. He has a purpose and a method, and it works every time if we trust him, if we allow him to do his thing. Gideon's army, that, that story is so incredible to me every time, that Gideon is finally willing to, to give in and say, okay, God, I'll lead this, this army, and I'll do what you want me to do. And so he gives him this, all these people come up, and they say, I want to be a part of it, and, and I want to be, I want to be in, in, in part of this battle. And so they have this great army, and, and God said, no, this isn't going to work. And so he puts them through a test, and he, he Whittles it down, and, and okay, well, Gideon's thinking, that's not what I had in mind, but okay, we'll take this number. No, that's way too many, too. Go down to the, to the brook here, and those see who brings up water in their hand and see who just lays down and gets water out of the brook, and we're going to send the rest of them home. And now you're left with 300. 300. And so, again, he tells them, I want you to just surround the camp with a pitcher and a light and a trumpet and break the lamp and... And blow the trumpet. All these things are crazy. All these things are nuts. Taxes, you need to pay taxes, Peter. Go fishing and get a fish. And then when you open its mouth, it's going to have a coin in it. Why does God do that? Why does God put those things in place? It's very simple to me if you look at Scripture. The reason why God does these things is because nobody else can get the credit. Nobody else. Nobody's going to think of these things. Nobody's going to say, oh, that fish just accidentally swallowed a gold coin. Everybody knows that if it happens this way, it's God. Everybody knows that when these walls fall flat and you can go straight up into the city, it's not Joshua's uh, intuition. It's not Joshua's architectural design of how things are going to happen. It's God. And that's why God's methods are right. They're not man's methods. They don't make sense to us sometimes. When we're struggling through some things and, and we think God should have answered it yesterday and, and we don't know why our family's not saved right now and we don't know why that job and that promotion hasn't fallen in our lap yet and we're doing everything that we know to do, it's not our methods. We have to trust God. He's got a purpose, and he's got a plan, and he's going to have a victory in the end if you trust him and if you stay with him. The question is not who's going to win. We know who's going to win. But whose side are you going to be on at the end of the situation? Whose side are you going to be on when the, when the battle is fought? 
Worship changes our perspective, and God's methods are not man's, but they are good, they work, and they're right every time. So what does that involve from us? That's just simple trust, faith. Some might say blind faith. I don't think it's blind faith because we have so many examples in front of us in this word where just simple trust and faith in God produced miracles. God wants every bit of the credit. He wants every bit of the glory. He's a jealous God. He wants it all. That's why he does these things. The fourth thing is this. Victory is ours if we do not quit. God didn't say, if the children of Israel will do X, Y, and Z and do it just right and perfect every time, then I'll finish it. God's going to take care of it all. God's going to take care of everything but we've got to just not stop. Remember Joshua? He's the only one that knew the plan. So put yourself in the position, in the shoes of just a normal children of Israel type of guy getting up on day two and having to walk around a city when people are yelling at you and making fun of you from the rooftops. On day three, when you're tired. Day four, when you're really just tired of walking and you want to sleep in a little bit. Anybody ever been there before? On a Wednesday night when you don't want to come to church because you've had a long week and you stay home and you miss out what God has for you. On a Sunday, Sunday night when you don't feel like getting up from your nap, you've got to stick with it. You've got to get back up. Day five, day six, all these times, if anybody had broken this routine, if they rebelled against Joshua, if they'd said, you know what, this is obviously not working. You obviously just... You had an encounter with something, but it wasn't God because nothing's happening here. If anybody, if they'd rebelled and not followed the God's plan, then they wouldn't have been on the winning side. I have no doubt God still would have won the victory, but they wouldn't have been around to see it. I'm reminded of Ehud. The Bible says his hand claved to the sword, and he killed thousands of Philistines. I don't believe it was because he was such a great soldier and great skilled master of a sword. I don't believe it was because he had practiced so much with that sword that he knew exactly what to do. I think the key to that whole story was the Bible says his hand claved to the sword. He was going to hold on to what was put in his hand. He was just going to hold on. That's all he had to do. God's going to do the work. The Word of God is still going to do the work. The Bible says His Word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the joints and the marrow. And, and here's the thing. If we just hold on to what God's Word is already don't, doing, if we just hold on to what God's already accomplishing in our life and in our church, if we just stay faithful in spite of, faithful in spite of things that happen in our lives or people that might talk against us, if we stay faithful, God's going to do the work. We've just got to be around to be there at the end. We've got to be faithful. Four keys to victory tonight. Very simple. Remember who's in charge. This battle is not our battle. We're not the ones who have to figure out X, Y, and Z. We're not the ones that have to solve the equation and make sure everything lines up and make sure everything is just how it's supposed to be. We just have to be willing. Remember, it's not our battle. It's his. Worship will change your perspective. I wish somebody would get a hold of that tonight. When you don't feel like worshiping, that's the best time to worship. When your flesh is telling you there's no reason to worship, that's the time to worship. 
If you can worship in spite of things, your perspective is going to change about your issue. Your perspective is going to change about your battle. Number three, worship. Or God's methods are not man's. We've got to get over that. We don't have to figure those out. we just got to trust God because they work and they're right. And victory is ours if we don't quit. So if I could go back to the beginning of what I was talking about tonight, and this is really the crux of my thought. Joshua is looking at that city before he ever meets this captain. Perhaps he's imagining what it would have looked like 40 years ago if we'd have just listened to God. He's imagining what things would have looked a little bit, how the landscape would have changed and how, what God would have done up until this point because things were basically just put on hold. I don't want to be in that situation tonight. I don't want to come back here in a few years and begin to look at the situation and wonder, how, how could have this been different? How could have our city been a little bit different if we'd have listened to God and just allow him to win this battle and have revival here in Indianapolis? I don't want to be looking at our schools, and I don't want to be looking at my kids. I don't want to be looking at my relatives and my family, wondering if we'd have just trusted God to fight this battle, how would have things been different? So you guys have a responsibility tonight. I have a responsibility tonight to trust God. We've got to win this battle for the generation that's coming behind us. I've got a 12-year-old son and a 9-year-old daughter and a 4-year-old daughter, and in a few years they're going to be up in a youth group, and then they're going to be contributing adults in this, this society. I want to make sure that I'm not in the way of them walking with God. I want to make sure that I don't make them stumble because of mistakes that I made and, and doubt that I had and, and not being able to follow through on God's plan for my life. And every one of you have somebody coming behind you. It may not be a child. It may be a family member. It may be a friend. It may be somebody that you've not even crossed paths yet with yet. But if you don't trust God enough to allow him to lead you and to guide you in every aspect of your life, there might be a time when you sit down and look and wonder, I wonder if I'd have just trusted God for that job instead of pushing my way through. I wonder if I would have just trusted God for that situation or if I, if I would have just allowed him to move and not tried to break every door down myself. So here's my challenge to you tonight. Four keys to victory. Very simple points. Ultimately, we've got to trust God. It's his battle anyways. But if we don't, there's a generation behind us that's going to suffer. Those kids that had grown up in the wilderness had no opportunity to make the right decision. The generation that had grown up out in the desert just eating manna every day, that's all they had, and, and just wandering around because of what their parents had done, had no opportunity to see what God had for them in their life until they were 40. There's people coming behind us that unless we make the right decisions, unless we follow our pastor, unless we get behind his vision for this city and for revival, they're going to suffer because of us. I don't want to be in that position. And it takes unity. Because it wasn't that Joshua didn't want it. It wasn't that Joshua was against it. It wasn't that Joshua wasn't listening. Joshua was behind Moses 100%. The problem was the majority of the congregation was not. The old adage is that you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. Moses had led them exactly where God had wanted them to go. But Moses could not carry them across the river. Moses could not take them physically across because the congregation had chose not to trust God. 
So we have a choice. We have a choice tonight. I believe that God has an incredible plan for this church. And this, this group of people right here are, are a huge piece of that, an integral piece of that plan. But you've got to decide collectively with unity to follow after what God has for this group, for this church, and for this city. Because if you don't, even if you were the one of the few that said, I believe in this, if the majority doesn't, we're going to suffer. The generation behind us is going to be set back and hamstrung because of us. The revival that God wants is going to be hampered because of us. I don't want that to be said of my generation. I don't want that to be said of me. I don't want that to be said of you. So tonight, I don't know what protocol is normally in this, in this setting, but I think it would be appropriate if we would just take some time and just have a time of reflection in our lives. Singularly and then collectively, maybe here at the end under your leadership here. But I want to see, I want to see our church grow. I want to see our church thrive. I want to see this city changed because of us, because of not because of us, but because of this church. I want to see our young people on fire for God. I want to see this downtown changed. Guys, you can, when you go down, downtown in the circle, when the IBC's down there, there is a hunger. There is a hunger in people. And even if they don't understand everything, uh, in this generation, in this, this culture wants you to think that everybody's against God, there is a hunger in this generation. If you'll show them something that's true and genuine, they're going to respond. But we've got to get out there. We've got to follow the leading of our vision that the pastor has put before us. So as we begin, I don't know if you guys have music or not. We don't even need it. But I want us just to find a place to pray just by ourselves first as an individual and say, God, I want to turn everything over to you right now. But I want you to know that I trust you. And even when I don't understand the situation, I'm going to allow you to lead me. And even when I don't see the solution, I'm going to allow you, God, to direct me because I want to be a part of what you're going to do. Because ultimately, God, I know that you're going to win. Ultimately, God, the victory is going to be in place, but I want to be on your side when that's done. I want to be on the right position when that's accomplished, God. Help me to be lined up with your will and help me to be lined up with the man of God in my life and help me to be lined up with the vision that you've placed in front of this church. In Jesus' name. That's it. Let's just pray a little while. Hallelujah. Have your way, God. Use this group of individuals.